Hi, guys. Welcome to Touch by Prayer. It is going to be a fun filled hour, maybe even a little bit longer, because there is some stuff that we are going to talk about. We are going to talk about the hidden things. That's right. There's been a lot of, there's been a lot of discussion about how God is revealing things that God, this is a time of revelation that he's starting to show things. And so I'm super excited. Um, I have Adrian Beal who is on my show tonight and he is wonderful. He's a, a friend. He's been on the show before. Um, I actually got a chance to, to meet him in person. And he and uh, Adam Thompson, and they are just, they are just awesome. And he's actually, he's calling in or coming in from Australia. So he literally is like, on Australian time. So he is, it's summer there. It's winter here. So we're going to have some fun. We're going to talk about the times. We're going to talk about the, the differences of um, what is, uh, has always been. We're going to start revealing things to you in such a way that you're going to start to see what the cross did in such a, a, a greater picture. Um, I had the honor and the privilege of reading this and um, getting to comment on it. And it was such a fascinating book. And there was so much, I mean, there was so much things that I've learned. So I'm really, really excited to have um, Adrian on to share all his revelation because there are so many things that are hidden and it really is in plain sight. So before I go on and on, let's just bring in Adrian. Adrian, thank you so much for coming on Touch by Prayer. Good day. How are you? Um, <laughs> Good day. But <laughs> well, that's not a nice. Um, that's it. I'm, I'm pleased to be with you. I'm actually speaking to you from the future. Uh, and so it is that's tomorrow. True in Australia uh, now, whereas you are in your Tuesday evening, I'm in the Wednesday Wednesday morning, just about to break midday. Um, you, you started off by speaking, Lisa, about those things that are hidden, and God often speaks the loudest in the things that he doesn't say at all. I mean, and that can often be a bit of a contradiction, but there's so many places in Scripture where God does that. For example, um, when David uh, says to Saul, uh, I can't wear this armor because I haven't tested I haven't tested it. Um, what we need to be asking ourselves is what armor had he tested? All right. And so straight away we go, ah. And, and then when he faces Goliath, he says, you come to me with a sword, spear and shield and so on. But I come to you in the name of the L-O-R-D of hosts, whose army, Lord of, hosts of Israel, whose armies you defy. When he says L-O-R-D in caps in our English Bibles, he's actually saying uh, Yahweh, yud hey vav hey. He's actually saying uh, yud, hand, hey, behold, vav, nail, hey, behold. In, 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 we would anglicize that by saying, I'm coming to you in, in behold the hand, behold the nail. And so straight away, we know that he's coming from the victory of the cross and he stands in a place of victory. Many, many places where, where um, for another place where there's a lot hidden is, um, you know, when Jacob leaves um, Canaan, he leaves Canaan. And, by, uh, and has an experience where he lays his head on the rock and has a dream of angels ascending and descending. Uh, he then returns through Peniel and he has this encounter with God, uh, you know, where he wrestles with God as a man, wrestle, as he would wrestle with a man. Uh, in that encounter with God at Peniel, he, um, uh, he, he says, he asks God his name and God doesn't respond, but God blesses him. Or what God is actually saying in not speaking there is that his name is Father because Jacob already knows that it's the Father who blesses Otherwise, he would, because he stole his blessing from his brother Esau when he departed from Canaan. So he's returning. 
And even beneath the surface of that, when when Jacob is leaving uh, Canaan, that's a picture of the, the, the Jesus coming as the Son of Man. And when he returns from Canaan with a bride, with two brides, he's, he's actually coming to earth. It's a picture of Jesus coming to earth to search for a bride. And when he returns, he returns as the Son of God. He returns to Father. And so there's so much hidden beneath the surface. Likewise, Lisa, if, if you want me to keep going, um, he... Um, oh, I'm listening. Trust me. <laughs> When the Pharisees come to him and they say, what's this authority that you move in, Jesus? And he goes, let me ask you a question. Let me pose you a question. He says, the, the baptism of John, is it from God or from men? In answering that way, he actually answered their question without answering their question. And you go, well, how so? Well, what happened was that they then went away and they discussed amongst themselves and they say, well, if, if we say it was from God, they say, well, what, he'll say, well, why didn't we believe him? And if we say it was from men, then the crowds will stone us. And so what they do is they say, we don't know. Well, in actual fact, Jesus was demonstrating to them that if you're double-minded and your head and the heart don't agree, then you have no authority. My authority comes because I receive revelation in my heart, and that's what comes out of my mouth. And so that's the alignment that you need to work in authority. And so there are multiples of places within Scripture where God hides things, but they're there for us to discover, like the kings that we are from Proverbs 25 too. Well, you know, one of the things that I want to go back to, Adrian, when you were talking about David, because that was one of the things that I loved you when you were talking about the um, the showdown between um, Goliath and David, that you were really talking about it, and you were everything that you're talking about. You keep bringing the cross back, and you keep trying to show how the cross always was that the that the crucifixion was from the beginning. And so because there, that's the string that kind of pulls things together. And so can you talk about, especially the, the David and Goliath, because you talk about the manna from heaven because David brought bread to his brother and you were talking about the manna, the word of God. So there's a lot of different things in that story that happens where Goliath, you've called Goliath to be Satan that you were saying that that was the devil. And so there's a lot of things in that whole thing that you pulled out a lot of information because I, I kind of got stuck on that because I love the whole story of David and Goliath and I've had different um, revelations about it. But this one, this one really, when I got it, I was like, whoa, that was really cool. So would you mind kind of explaining that? I think that the beauty of, of David and Goliath and many of the other narratives in scripture is for us to, to plumb them so that we see what we have access to in the promises of God. And uh, what I would advise um, people who are Christians who are uh, watching this right now is when you're reading Old Testament and particularly Old Testament and the Gospels, because the Gospels are Old Testament until Jesus dies upon the cross. And so beneath the narratives and the stories within the Gospels, there are also, uh, there are also, they are also parabolic and the narratives contain uh, secrets hidden in, in plain sight. But um, what I would suggest is this, that when we're reading the scriptures, we've got to read them in the light of the cross. And so as we're reading Old Testament scriptures and the Gospels, read it in the light of the cross because that then um, brings a new hue or a new color or a new uh, perspective into your reading. And if you re realize um, then that what you're reading has another layer to it, you can open that up. So let me go back to David and Goliath. That's the classic battle from 1 Samuel 17 that so many of us have been brought up on. In We've heard so many sermons on it. Um, but... What, when you're reading a scripture, what should trigger you is um, things um, like you see scenes. Um, like I just talked about yod hey vav hey, I come to you in the name of the Lord, behold the hand, behold the nail. 
and uh, you, you know, okay, that's in, an interesting perspective. But the, the battle actually takes place where it says that the Philistines were camped at Ephesdamim. Uh, Ephesdamim uh, Ephes in Hebrew actually means the boundary of blood. And so whenever you see blood, uh, I shared this on a recent post on Facebook, you, it should really send off signals to you going, oh, I want to dig this deeper because we know the power of the blood or we're getting to know something of the power of the blood. And so um, there is a lot of things that take place there. And Goliath is this seasoned warrior and David's this with you know 17-year-old youth who hasn't known warfare. And, and it could be that he is like a lamb to the slaughter in that situation. Um, so he comes, and he comes in the name of yod heh behold the hand, behold the nail. Um, but straight away, you'll find some things like this, that Goliath is clothed in brass. And I didn't actually get to share this on my recent posting, but brass in scripture is symbolic of a judgment. And the reason I say that is because the altars were made from that metal. And so every time there was an offering, every time there's an offering, a judgment's made. And so they would use the altars to bring an offering so that God could judge in their favor in that situation. Well, when Goliath comes and he comes clothed in brass, what it means is that he's judging mankind. And Goliath challenges Israel and he says, send me a man. Every time that the enemy faces us, he wants to face us and battle with us in our own strength, in our physicality and in the flesh. Whereas David doesn't come in the flesh. David doesn't come just as a mere man. He comes clothed in Christ. And that's where our victory is. Also in that scene, you'll see that there is, um, there is this, um, he's mentioned, but he, he doesn't seem to part, um, do a lot in the scene, but this, this shield bearer runs before uh, Goliath carrying his weaponry. Um, what God's shown me there is that, that that is a spirit of fear that moves ahead of the enemy. So that what, that spirit, what fear does is it divides our head and heart. And if we are divided in our head and heart, then like I said before Jesus, there's no authority, there's no, we're not one man. And we have to be careful. He tries to divide us before he will attack us. And so there's, there's Goliath, a picture of Satan, and there he is trying to judge mankind. Um, now, you know, it says that David picked up five stones from the brook. And most of us have heard the story that he picked up five stones because um, Goliath had four brothers. You know, equally uh, equally um, uh, plausible is the fact that uh, there were five cities of the Philistines and so perhaps Goliath, he, he may have been just the champion of one or he may have been the champion of champions. There may have been four other champions from those other cities that he may have had to face. But that's what uh, you, know, could, you could postulate. But realise this, that when David picks up five stones, we, he's, he's come representative of the heart of the father before that enemy. And on, in the heart of the father, there is a high priest breastplate. And on that breastplate are 12 stones, which represent the 12 tribes of Israel. And now it's interesting that the first five stones or first five sons of, um, of Jacob, uh, which were represented by the first five stones on that breastplate, are Reuben, which is behold a son. Simeon means hearing. Uh, Levi means joined. Judah means praise. And Dan means judge. So isn't it it's rather interesting that what that says is, hey, the devil, you may come to me with a judgment and you might want to judge mankind, 
but I'm coming to you in the in the victory of the cross, Yod Hey Vav Hey, and now God's going to turn this around. Your judgment against mankind is going to be turned around against you because now God's going to be and judge you because behold, a son uh, hearing uh, in in praise uh, and um, what did I say? Uh, then he, then uh, so we've got Levi. Then we've got um, I've lost it now a little bit here, Lisa. So <laughs> Dan, the final one, but. Uh, Joined Levi and then joined in praise uh, brings judgment. So behold, a son hearing joined with God in praise or living a life of worship before God, as it were, brings judgment. And so as we become worshippers and we receive revelation, uh, that's what he strikes the enemy with. Now, the stone comes out of a sling and a sling is a concave vessel in Scripture. uh, the, the, well, the 11th letter of the Hebrew alphabet is the letter Kaf, K-A-P or K-A-P-H. Sometimes it's K-A-F, but um, in anglicized that way. It, it, in its original form, it's a cupped hand. And you and I are um, concave vessels. We're that cupped hand. Now, that word Kaf is also used to describe the, the spoons that are used in the temple and also the concave nature of palm fronds uh, where they catch the water and bring the water back towards the tree. And so my, my suggestion to you is that we are concave vessels, if we understand that, because believers are filled, all right? Mm-hmm. David writes in Psalm 23, my cup overflows, so therefore you and I are concave vessels and God fills us. When, God, when David comes with a sling, he's actually bringing something out of his heart. And what he's bringing, and as he scribes that circle like a, like a, a sling is slung and then suddenly turns it around that way, Anything that's circular has no beginning and no end, all right? Not like a square that you can sort of start at a corner and then work your way around. That's regulated or religious, but circular means it's spirit, it's eternal. So out of his spirit comes revelation, and that stone downs the enemy, downs the devil, all right? But interesting thing in in that story is that um, it's not clear whether the stone it says that you know, that David overcame the devil with a stone. But then what David does is he runs to the body of Goliath and then he he draws the devil's or he draws Goliath's own sword and lops off his head, correct? Correct. You know why, you know why he does that? Because the, 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 the weapon that the enemy uses against us is that sword and that sword is the word of God. And mm-hmm. so the enemy brings judgment against us, accusation against us. He's a accuser of brethren. But what he uses is the word of God against us. And so David is a picture of a prefiguring of Jesus and a dimension of the victory that Jesus won for us there as he he breaks that that victory. What I like about that, Lisa, if I can continue to speak. Absolutely. Is is that David then, he didn't just run at Goliath, but he ran at Goliath and the armies of the Philistines. And then, then the rest of Israel, once he downed Goliath, they all join in and they rush and they raid the enemy. So we have... We are in that rushing after Christ, and we then have the the the, um, the, the privilege of plundering the enemy's tents, what they've stolen from us. But also, David has three things. He has the he, he then gets the the king's daughter in marriage, and that is a picture of Christ and the church. He then has um, he says riches, all right, and so that is financial gain. And he also says that he's tax free. Now, I don't, I don't mean the IRS or the ATO in Australia, but what I mean is the enemy can no longer tax us. He can no longer use uh, the accusations against us to cause us and, and steal from us and, in a way, taxing us. And so there's such a lot in that one story that we've heard so many times before. 
Well, now you know why when I when I read it, I was like, whoa. <laughs> because there is, there is so much in it. And the other thing that I loved was when you were talking about how Jesus, you know, there it says, you know, when Jesus says, unless you come as a little child, right? That was the other thing. Unless you come as a little child, you will not see the kingdom of God, right? It says you have you have to come as a little child. What you brought that back to is you brought us back to the innocence of being Adam and Eve, back to that innocence where we where Adam and Eve, they were ruling and reigning, that they weren't looking at their nakedness, that they that they didn't have their carnal mind, but they had they were looking through spiritualized, that they were looking through things. That, that God had given them their provision. They got everything. But more importantly, they understood who they were because when they at the, when the, the sin came in, they lost their identities because they started to see, they started to see themselves in their nakedness. And so they, they ran and they hid from God. And so I thought that that was really interesting. So if you wanted to kind of like talk about that, because I felt that especially be, one of the things that I really truly um push as far as like what what I feel is important for me to explain and to teach and to show people is their identity. And I think that when you kind of see it that way, because so many people think of it, unless we come as little children, it's like, well, what does that mean? You know, and a lot of people kind of can get lost in that. They're like, well, but, but stuff has happened. I've seen stuff. I know too much. I can't be a kid, you know, but I think that that perspective brings you back into a place of a, of a greater understanding of that childlike innocence. I think that, that that's a good point, Lisa. And that, you know, I bring out a couple of dimensions to that because there's multiple dimensions of returning to becoming like childlike. Um, one of them is like for Adam and Eve that they lost their innocence or, or they lost the spiritual vision that they had so that they, they, they gained their soulish vision, as it were, their natural vision, and so then, then they understood that they were naked. Uh, prior to that, the Bible says they were naked and unashamed. Within Scripture, if you do a, a Boolean search and you put in there the word uh, glory and shame, you'll find that they are a pair. You, and God says that you re, you've actually refused my glory and taken on shame. And so it says Adam and Eve uh, were naked and unashamed, which means that they, initially they were clothed in glory. And, and we return to that glory if we understand. And I think it's such an important thing in our day and age where so many people are confused about their identity that we do realize that we are the sons and the daughters of the living God. And that is our true identity. That's what our eternal destiny is. And that's what our eternal uh, calling is. Um, also, uh, an interesting thing that I think is this, that when you're a child, you use your imagination a lot more than we do as adults. Uh, and we tend to um, become more factual as we grow and as we move through our teen years and we have peer pressure and we start to worry about what we look like and, and the pimples break out and all that sort of stuff that takes place. We become so self-conscious and we've been filled with logic uh, if we've gone to like public schooling. Um, then then we, we fail to see um, that uh, a part of that childhood innocence is the ability to use our imagination. And the imagination is a hot topic at the moment, using the imagination or the sanctified imagination. Most of us come through the church and the imagination was always wicked imaginations of men. But that was only after the fall. And we've returned to that, pre, like you said before, pre-fall. And we need to re recognize that the imagination, the Bible does say in Isaiah, he will keep in perfect peace, him whose mind is stayed on you, on, on, on me, on God. And that word there is yetzer in Hebrew, and it's, 
it's the creative. It's associated with bara, uh, which means the creation. So it's, it's it's associated with creative imagination, and and so if you are, if I were to ask the people who are watching it right now whether they can recall whether they're more imaginative now than when they were as children, God wants us to understand the importance of imagination. And I know that Andrew Womack and others are writing or have written books and are writing books on the imagination and the importance of the imagination. The imagination plays a very, very uh, large part in who we are and how we step into the kingdom. Because Jesus said in Luke 17, 21, he says, the kingdom of God's within you. Now, not only do I bring a portal of the kingdom everywhere I go, so I'm bigger on the inside, I'm the TARDIS, you know, Doctor Who's TARDIS, I'm bigger on the inside than I am on the outside, um, but because I bring a portal of the kingdom wherever I go. But not only is that a foundational and powerful truth, but, you know, what is powerful is this. That the kingdom, you know, Jesus said to the, the blind men in Matthew 9, I believe it is, he says, do you believe that I can do this? And they said, we believe. So what we should learn from that is you get what you believe for. And if you can imagine it and if you can believe it and if you have it in your heart, that will dictate what you'll step into. And that's a really important thing because the kingdom of God is within us. And so what we believe in our heart and our mind will dictate the kingdom that we step into and our experience. And so it's really, really important that we open our heart again to be active in the ter in terms of using our imagination, sanctified imagination. And I, I think that that's steered best. Um, you know, in the book, uh, Hidden in Plain Sight, what I explain is this, that the keys of the kingdom, and this is the hardback, I've only got this hardback at the moment, all right? And so uh, Destiny have sent me this, and it is really quite impressive. Um, but... Uh, in there, I open up what I believe are the keys of the kingdom. And the keys of the kingdom are revelation. And when we realize that we, just as Israel moved from Egypt through the wilderness into the promised land, we parallel that journey. We move from the world to a place of having our minds renewed and transformed in our thinking so that we truly see who our identity is. And we don't become like they were with grasshoppers in our own sight. And we realize that we're the sons of the living God and we're seated in heavenly places as well as existing here and coexisting here on earth, just as Jesus did, John 3, verse 13 uh, in the King James Version. Um, but also then we move into not the promised land, but we then move into the land of his promises and all of his promises are accessed through the cross. And so uh, it's important to realize the power of revelation because in the Old Testament, in Deuteronomy 8, verse 3, the key or the crux of their journey is, is captured for us in Deuteronomy. Jesus quotes from it in the tests in the wilderness. And uh, what he does is um, he says, um, you know, I, 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 I humbled you and I caused you to hunger and I led you in, I fed you in the wilderness with manna, which you didn't know, but that your fathers didn't know, which you might come to know that man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word spoken out of the mouth of God. Um, what is interesting is that one verse captures for us what manna is. Manna from Deuteronomy 8 verse 3 is that which proceeds out of the mouth of God. So therefore, manna is revelation. They needed manna like we need revelation. All right. And manna has a capacity and it describes for us there. It says that you didn't know it, neither did your forefathers or neither did your fathers. Now, we know in the wisdom of hindsight, as we read Numbers 13 and 14, that um, the fathers didn't know this but, and they were like grasshoppers in their own sight. And so what this suggests is that manner or revelation has the capacity to challenge 
a wrong or fixed mindset. And so imagine, well, that's probably the wrong word to use, but can you comprehend that if we can imagine something according to revelation, it can break our fixed mindset, maybe religious mindset or that which we've been conditioned with in our world and through our religious experience. And so revelation can break that hold on our thinking so that we can move in and use our active imagination. And it also says that it says, not only did you not know Revelation, but your fathers. So if, if it's us, this current generation, you and I, Lisa, it's this. Then then this can carry us beyond our current ex- experience. And so what this says is that Revelation, right, that which is released from heaven, the manna, that was released from hand, uh, heaven, that which is spoken out of the mouth of God, it has the capacity to provide a model or a framework for us to step beyond our current experience. And so revelation is a crucial part, and that then is, when we activate that, we activate that through our use of our imagination. That's why That's dreams, so vision, dreams, visions, and revelation from the scriptures are so, so important. Well, I want to go back to something, because you said something that was very, very um Okay, so you, you talked about how there are portals and how we can release the portal like within within us. So I have to tell you about a dream that I just had. So I had this dream and towards the end of the dream, I was sitting and I saw this man and right next to him was a portal, like right next to him. And I said to the man, I said, I said, you have a portal right next to you. And all you have to do is reach in to get what you need because it's right there. And as soon as I said that, I woke up and it was 5.30 in the morning. So I decided, well, it's too early to get up. Let me, I'm going to try to go back to sleep. And I tried to go back to sleep, but I kept hearing the word portal, portal. I kept hearing it over portal, portal. And I started to hear like P, provision. And I realized what God was trying to say is that the P-O-R-T-A-L that he was trying to say that it kind of stood for something. And so what I heard was provision on reach to access life. Because as I started to research provision, provision is not just financial. Provision is whatever you need to, to maintain your life. That's really what it is. And we've, we've taken it, we've dumbed it down into finances, but it's so much more than that. Provision is everything that you need to achieve your life. And I thought, so what I, I saw and what I saw in this dream is I saw that there are going to be portals that are going to open up next to people. And there are going to be people like yourself who are going to be able to spot them to tell people that it's right there. Like all you have to do is just reach in and grab it. So, yeah. I, but when you said the portal thing, if you would have saw my eyes, <laughs> it was like, what? Because that was such a bizarre dream. But now it, I, I completely, okay, that just totally makes sense. So portals are, are an integral part of our understanding. Through scripture, you see that there are, there are natural or geographic portals. For example, mm-hmm. we talked about Jacob coming out of um, Canaan and he sees angels ascending and descending. Let me just add here. Why do they first ascend and then descend? Wouldn't you think that if angels are in heaven, they would first descend before they ascend? Uh, they, the, the answer to that is this, is my understanding. And, and there's other revelation on this, but they ascend carrying our prayers and they descend with God's re- response. Oh, see, they, now that's good. All right. And that, so that's often through revelation that it brings to us. Sometimes we don't know that angels are actually speaking to us, but suddenly we get a thought that wasn't in our natural line or we get a song 
We wake up with a song. That can be angelic uh, intervention. It can be God actually speaking to us directly. All right. And so when you do wake up and you wake up with a song in your heart that you can go to bed with, consider the words of that song. Now, you said you saw a man with a portal next to him. Each one of us could be that man. I mean, and it could be someone that you love or close to you because it's either you or someone that's close to you that you've been observing. There's provision there, but they've not yet learned to reach in and draw that from uh, God's provision. You know, it really, it, it is, the kingdom is much, much bigger on the inside than we comprehend. And the, there are multiple layers of what Jesus has provided for us through the cross. So another example of that is that, you know, it's uh, Mount Moriah, which is where uh, Solomon built the temple. And it's also where uh, Abram, Abraham, should I say, went to offer up his son Isaac, um, that that place, Mount Moriah, is also a portal. You know, it's the, it's the threshing floor that, uh, that David bought for that very purpose. And so there's obvious, there was obviously a, um, a, um, a portal over that geographic location. It's interesting that sometimes the enemy comes and camps on those portals. Mm, can we talk about that? Because that's, that's that, that just hits me. All right. So... Um, one time, uh, and this is Adam and I have, have written a new book on angels, and I, I don't want to open up too much of that, but uh, portals are part of the subject of that 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 book, and we have some ex we've had experienced some things where darkness has come through some portals, and something was opened up. But so the enemy, you know, look, for, let me go like this: the the name of the city, Los Angeles, um, probably wasn't called out of coincidence. And yet uh, you have uh, um, an, uh, an ungodly establishment, La La Land, has uh, set themselves up in that portal. I think that that was once a godly portal that has been, has been camped on by the enemy. All right. And so uh, I think that when uh, God opens a portal, we need to reinforce that. And if the enemy shuts it down, we need to go in there and cover it in the blood. All right. So there are geographical portals within, throughout earth. And, but also we need to realize that we are personal portals and that we have access through the blood of Christ to step across that barrier. Now, I talked about Ephes Damon being the boundary of blood. You know, when, uh, for example, you know, when the priests were bearing the ark as they, and this is Joshua chapter three, and they're bearing the ark. Within the ark, excuse me, was three, uh, three things. There was the manna. There was the Ten Commandments or the two tablets of stone, and there was also um, the the um, the rod that budded, Aaron's rod that budded. Now Jesus says that He is the bread from heaven, so He's the manna. He is the Word of God, and so He is a loving God and loving mankind in balance, like that you said we said before. And He is also the resurrection and the life, which is what uh, this is John eleven and John six and so on, John one one. Uh, all so in that box which is a wooden box covered in gold which is humanity clothed in glory in that box as they travel step into jordan now jordan the river jordan means death or descender all right and so the name jordan means death or descender when the priest step into jordan bearing the ark which is symbolic of christ stepping into death what happens to that river what happens to that river it doesn't just part though it rolls back so from one point it rolls back it rolls all the way back to a town. And if you read this in Joshua chapter 3, the name of that town is Adam. Oh, come on. All right. That's so, so good. <laughs> so what it says is this. You know, my Bible says in Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin yeah. is death. There's Jordan rolling down. 
But when Jesus stepped into death, that rolled all the way back to Adam, the progenitor of mankind, which means for you and I, what provision is in the cross? There's another provision in the cross, and that is every generational curse is broken in that event. And so uh, that's my passion is to open us so that we can see the kingdom and what we have access to through Christ's death upon the cross. And so do you understand that? It says that Absolutely. that hangs upon a tree. This is Galatians 3 verse 13. But th that time gives you a scene for you to use your imagination. You're in that vanguard. Oh, sorry, you're in that train that goes across following Christ through the boundary of blood, you know, that which is that the Jordan River, their death. And now we have access across that. You know, there's, there's so many pictures like that. We were talking earlier about that which is hidden. A lot of times when God hides things, he hides them through the narratives. For example, how was Elijah and Elisha, how was Elisha trained under Elijah? Well, that is portrayed in the journey from uh, Gilgal, Rolling Stone, to Bethel, House of God, Jericho, the place of victory, to Jordan. All right, and so what you see is he, he transitions between each one of those places and his interaction with the sons of the prophets in each one of those and his response to that, even though they're asking the same questions because they're coming from a different place, their motive's different and they've moved on, all right? It actually shows you his, 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 um, his growth and how, uh, how he was trained under Elijah. Similarly, in the book, in uh, Kingdom Mysteries Hidden in Plain Sight, I'm sorry to plug this, but in there we open up was that snap? All right. Um, um, in in there, the, the journey of Isaac in Genesis twenty six. Isaac's God's God's cause, causing Isaac to grow up, and how does he grow up to become a son? Well, that journey is depicted in his journey through the wells. All right, through mm -hmm. Sedna, Esek, uh, Rehoboth, and then Beersheba. And so, as he journeys through those those wells. He actually grows, all right? And so beneath the surface of that story is another narrative being outplayed, and that's a picture of how you grow as a child. I mean, Well, this, I also, this... I, I just wanted to, since you're talking about this, because I was going to talk about it, can you also talk about the the wives, the two wives that that um, that Jacob or Israel, because he had Leah and he had um, Rachel, right? Is that right? Yeah. Okay. So... So there, because there's a depiction of, of Jesus in that too. So I wanted you to kind of, since you were kind of in there, I felt that that needed to also be kind of brought up. So when, when Jacob leaves, um, in Genesis 28, Jacob leaves Canaan and he's on his way to find a bride from, uh, from Rebecca's uh, brother, brother's household, from Laban's household. Laban changes his wages 10 times. There's a lot in that story, and I think I'll, I'll dedicate two or three chapters to it in Kingdom Mysteries. But um, he, he leaves and he comes back via Peniel in Genesis 32. Um, now, we're, we're, we're conflicted there or we're, we're confused because Jesus has come to gather a bride, but he's bringing, he's bringing back a bride. Well, that bride incorporates Israel as well. And remember that Leah... She was. She didn't have good vision. She was dull of seeing. It the Bible describes, and so what is a picture? Is a picture of Israel not recognizing their Messiah. All right, but now the two are one. It's the, the Messianic Jews are part of that bride, and so he goes. And first of all, he's Leah becomes his bride, and so he relates to Israel first, and th then he returns with Rachel and Leah 
but his passion has always been for, for Rachel, but it really is a picture of the bride of Christ, and the two are one. They become one man, all right, and the, and the dividing wall is separated. Um, what, what also that brings a point up, and that is this, that when Jesus was ministering and he fed 5,000 people and, um, and then he fed 4,000 people, Jesus, first of all, went to minister to Israel. Is that correct? Before he said, when he sent out the disciples in Matthew chapter 10, he said, go only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Don't go to the Gentiles. And so the message, first of all, of the gospel was to be, to be shared with the Gentiles. So when Jesus feeds 5,000, five is the number of grace. And according to, when you, when you want to interpret scripture, um, you've got to, the Bible says in First Corinthians chapter 2, verse 13, to interpret scripture and understand spiritual teaching. The Holy Spirit teaches comparing spiritual things with spiritual. And so when you want to get a depth of field that you, you don't have as you're reading through a narrative, when the Holy Spirit drops in your heart another scripture, bring that scripture into line with what you're reading to see whether you get like a microscope, a couple of lenses, and you get a depth of field that you didn't have as you're just reading the surface narrative. And that's the case here. When Jesus feeds 5,000 people, for example, five is the number of grace, but Isaiah 60, verse 22, if we bring that truth and understanding into play and into view, then Isaiah 60, verse 22 says this. It says that a little one will be a thousand, or a little one will be a nation, a small one will be a thousand. So a thousand is as a nation or a clan. In Hebrew, the word for nation is also a thousand, and it's also the word that's used for clan. All right, and so a small one is a nation, a little one a thousand. So a thousand is as a nation. So when Jesus feeds 5,000 people, it's grace and a nation. You put, combine those two things together, five times 1,000 is 5,000. Who is the nation of grace? Well, the nation of grace is Israel. And so when Jesus goes and he, he pours himself out, he is that broken bread. And the two fish is the revelation or of the witness of revelation that he brings to them. And so he, he, he shares himself. He gives thanks to the Father for his own sacrifice. And then the disciples distribute that, and they gather 12 baskets. Now, previously, I've just explained to you that the 11th letter of the Hebrew alphabet is a concave vessel. What shape are the baskets that he picked up, the remains, or that the disciples picked up the remains with? They are concave vessels. And rather coincidentally not, there are 12 of them. So what that actually is a depiction of this is Jesus is being poured out for Israel and in the process he's filling up his disciples with the revelation that he, that he is who he is and, and the feeding that he's feeding them with. And so then subsequently he then feeds 4,000. So first of all he goes sends the message to Israel, the 5,000, and then he feeds 4,000. Well, four, you know, four can be many, many things depending on context, but in this context the Bible says there are four winds or four corners of the earth in the book of Revelation. And the four means the, the nations of the world. 4,000 means the nations of the world. Instead of 12 baskets, what they collect afterwards, and this is now the disciples, this is a depiction of the, the disciples now going with the message that Jesus has given them, and they bring seven baskets back. And so seven is the place of Sabbath or the place of rest. And so now what God is saying is, after I pull myself out to Israel, you're going to pour yourselves out to the world and you're going to bring the hearts of the nations of the world into rest. Isn't that wonderful? Oh, that is so good. That is so good. I mean, there's there's so much in this book hidden in plain sight, <laughs> the kingdom mysteries. The thing that I love is that everything talks about how the cross always was. And I, you know, when you, when you first read it, you're like, well, I, well, wait, but 
how how is that but then as you start to journey into the book you start to go oh well then that makes sense because even the pharisees were questioning jesus at what authority do you have to give forgiveness of a sin but it was because the cross always was and it's like when you get that it's like that's how he was able to pardon. That's how he was able to do the things. That's how the Holy Spirit was able to dwell. There were so many things about it because the cross already happened. And you you and I were talking just a little bit before we got on, and you were even talking about how Abraham saw him, how he saw him, and he saw the finished work. So it's like it always was, and it just because it even says, you know, before the foundations of, of time, it says that he had a plan. Like he wasn't surprised at what happened with Adam and Eve. It wasn't like, oh my goodness gracious, what am I going to do? You know, this is God. He knows everything. He, you know, yes. he was there from the beginning and he knows, he knows everything. So it wasn't, and I think sometimes we forget that we, you know, in our, we're like, well, you know, Adam and Eve, they messed up, you know, but God had a plan and it was because it was already done. He took care of it. But this is the thing, Adrian. Why is it that some people can't seem to shift into that, that understanding about the finished work of the cross? Like, okay, so we, we now know that according to the Bible, even before like that it was, but even now, like people who read the Bible, they still can't grasp that, that it was finished. And I, I know we still have to deal with our stuff, but I, I kind of feel like we're just we're kind of like the Davids and we're just going up the Goliaths all the time. And so like, what is it that, that we need to kind of shift into so that we can start moving in the things that Jesus already did for us? You know, I, I think that sometimes we're at fault in that we reinforce um, through our teaching and through our experience in church, we reinforce that it's non-existent. You know, like we, 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 we sing songs like open up heaven, open it wide. When it's already been opened through the cross, and you'll see that in the life of Samson as he throws the, the jawbone of the ass or the donkey and it opens a, a well. Um, that's another part of the story. But um, I, I think that we, we are so conditioned and, and, and we need to be repaired. We need to feed on this material of the kingdom over and over again. We need to use our sanctified imagination and continually bring ourselves back to this level of reality because what we I think we tend to do is we tend to take things on the at the outward we tend to focus on circumstances on situations and what we see rather than what we we apprehend by faith and um, God is actually moving the church and she's, he's preparing his bride to step into the next move and the next move certainly is to break forth from uh, from church churchianity into kingdom and there's so many with a fixed religious mindset but you don't realize you've got that until somebody challenges you with fresh revelation but th then that fresh revelation has to be continually reinforced and so we need fresh manna every day and if we don't have fresh manna it becomes stale and breeds worms so we've heard messages that people have ever shared and so on but we've, we've dwelt on that and we've gone back and we've lived back in the past and there's so much of us wants to live in that religious mindset rather than in the fresh imagination uh, kingdom mindset and so I think there's an, uh, an onus on us to step beyond and to live kingdom and continually bring our imaginations into uh, what God has for us and what God has provided through the cross. Now, I, I believe that the cross sets forth all the promises interdimensionally that Jesus achieved through the cross. Now, when the disciples captured what, when Jesus died upon the cross, they primarily captured that physical event. 
but there are layers within that event that are depicted and the promises are outlined for us all the way from cover to cover in Scripture. And so what that does is as we start to open this up, and that's the reason why I believe that Jesus didn't leave a, a written book or the disciples didn't dic- um, you know, write down or dictate, you know, he didn't dictate to them the things to pass on to the future generations. Uh, in Acts chapter 1 verse 3 when he says he was with them for 40 days sharing things about the kingdom. They didn't need to because it was already there before them in what we call the, the Bible. And so if we understand that, we'll also understand that when the disciples were with Jesus on the Emmaus Road, uh, it says that when they were having communion, then their eyes were opened. Every time we come to communion, there's a dimension of the cross that Christ wants us to access. All right, And so those the dimensions of that and the depth of that is open throughout Scripture. So, for example, we would normally refer back to Isaiah 53 when we come around the table and we go, by his stripes we're healed. But if we understood that there's a plethora of provision and resources for us to access, not only is there healing, but you, you said finances, but let's avoid finances and let's go into healing, for example. If we understand that Zephaniah 3.17 uh, it says, um, you know, it, it opens up. And if you open up that one verse in the Old Testament, you'll find out that it's a picture of Jesus rejoicing on the cross, that he is giving himself a sacrifice. And there's three different words there, one for the joy, rejoice and joy. And you'll find out that, that, that there are three different types of joy. Ultimately, it comes down that he's rejoicing that he's dying for us. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. But the final joy is that, that we as we as partakers of the provision that he's opened for us. And what you see in Zephaniah 3.17, when you open it up and you have a look at the Hebrew figures and his, the, the words, you actually see it's a picture of Jesus on the cross with his wings or his arms outspread. And, and he's bringing healing. You know, there is um, so many things I could, I could share here. And, and what's going off inside of me are so many other verses. Um, Malachi 4 verse 2, it says, For those who fear his name, the son of righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings. There in the cross, uh, he has his his heart and his his arms open wide. He is the son, the S-U-N of righteousness with healing in his wings. And it says, when when he, those who fear his name, uh, the son of righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings. When he ascended, so Jesus, most of us have bought the gospel that Jesus died, was buried, and rose again. That's 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 to 4. But we fail to read through to verse 25, where it says that he's now waiting for his enemies to put under his footstool. And so therefore he's seated alongside the Father, so he is ascended. And so when he ascended, like uh, before the disciples, it says that when he ascended, he let captivity captive and gave gifts to men. That's the scene of a triumphant king coming back from a battle, and he's bringing the spoils of war from the enemy's camp. And we're in that train behind him. We are there. We were captured to the enemy through our sin, but now he's released us, and now he's distributing the gifts. But he ascended. So in his ascension, that's him returning to his throne, where he now dispenses revelation and seed, a bit like Joseph alongside uh, Pharaoh, who is a picture of God the Father in that story back there in um, Genesis 41. Um, but you see then... So Jesus is ascended. If we understand he's ascended, and Malachi 4 verse 2, those who fear his name, those, the, word, the Hebrew word for fear is yare, which means, if we break that down, it means the hand you see. All right, And so when we fear him, we're actually, Jesus actually interchanged the word fear and worship when he was tested by the devil in the wilderness. He said, you shall not, he said, you shall not, um, it's called that you are to worship the Lord thy God and him only shall you serve. 
well, he's quoting Deuteronomy 6, verse, um, uh, verse 16 there. In actual fact, in that verse, it says, Fear the Lord thy God in him, and shall you serve. So Jesus interchanges the word worship and fear, and we need to understand that you do that. Who, who do you worship? You worship the, the one that you see. All right, so Yare means the hand you see. And so realize that there's just so much that you can unlock and, and open up there. Uh, the Hebrew, the English doesn't do uh, us justice in opening up what God's got for us. And many times Hebrew words have more than one meaning. You know, it's called a homograph, which means it's a word with more than one meaning. And sometimes you can read a passage and you read it with one English understanding, but if you understand that that word could be interchanged with this word, suddenly you get another layer or another layer. Let's put it above it. You get another layer that changes the perspective totally. And so some of those things I open up in uh, Kingdom Mysteries Hidden in Plain Sight. Well, I think that's the other thing too. It says that his word is alive. So it's uh, so if we really understand that the the Bible, it it, it it's alive. Like it doesn't just it doesn't just mean one thing because each time that you read it, each time that you hear it, you can get a different level of understanding. You can get a different form of revelation, you know, and, and something that you didn't see before. All of a sudden it becomes uh, it becomes aware to you and you're like, oh, wait a second. How come I didn't see that before? Because it's alive and it's being unveiled to you slowly. Everything that you're reading, everything that you're seeing. But I think that also as you spend time, not only reading the word of God, but spending time with the word of God, spending time like in prayer time and listening and allowing your imagination to show you things. Because I, I can tell you as you start to allow, it, it's like you have to give yourself permission. You have to say, Lord, I trust you to show me things. I trust you to, to give me these understandings and these experiences. I trust you. It's almost like a permission because he's never going to do something where he like, you know, hog ties us and brings us along to have a revelation. Because if we're afraid of it, we're never, we're not going to see it. It's, it's just the way it is. It's same with like speaking in a prayer language. If you keep saying, I, I don't want a prayer language, well, then you're never going to get one. It's not because he doesn't want to give it to you. And it's not that he's withholding it from you, but, it, but it's that your words have said, and that's the other thing too is that we have to really be careful about the words that we choose and we say and, and how we're positioning our words because our words have power because we're created in the image of, of God. We're, we're created in his image. So the things that we speak, that it has a power that goes out. That that's just like, you know, when even when Jesus, when they were coming to um to to um to uh, um to basically arrest him when he was in the garden of Gethsemane. And he said, they said, are you Jesus? And he said, I am. And they fell. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because there is power in the words. So I, I, I believe that these things that, that what you're saying about kingdom mystery is hidden in plain sight. <laughs> I think that the revelation that, that you have that you have um, put in the different pages. And there are a couple, um, I know that there's a couple chapters that kind of like, they kind of piggyback on each other because, and there's also the other thing too about this book is that there's exercises. There are things for you to kind of like, well, how do you feel about this? Or how do you, you know, there's different like um, um, forms of engagement, which is Active one of the things that I love. Activations. Yeah. yeah. I think it's important that we do not only become, you know, 
talking heads and the head gurus, but we, we suddenly start to activate what we're actually reading and understanding. And so there's a couple of times I say, reread that paragraph, reread that passage, mm-hmm. read that passage in preparation and so on. And what you find is that as you do, as you meditate on it, it becomes part of you and the revelation becomes part of you. And God, God obviously is not limited to my revelation and God can carry that revelation further for, for the reader. One of the things that I've designed this book particularly for was for somebody who's busy. Most of us have a busy, busy lifestyle. And you may not have the time to sit down and carve out to read 40 chapters, but when you realize that what I've done is I've, I've designed it so that each chapter's length is roughly 1,200 words, which means that you can make it a devotional. And in That's that right. devotional, you can, not only are you feeding on the, on the things of the kingdom every day, you're building that model of what the kingdom looks like. Well, how do you enter the kingdom? How do you position yourself? That kingdom's within you. You're activating your imagination as you're reimagining the scenes. And just like a dream, like a vision, uh, and just like you'd read a narrative or a story in scripture, you can enter that scene because you're using your imagination. When you read a book, which is just words on a page, you enter that scene. You, you're imagining what that person's face is like and that interaction's like. It's the same thing in scripture. You're imagining David face Goliath, or you're imagining Gideon routing the Midianites. You're, you're imagining those scenes, and suddenly you step into that. That's, that's your imagination at work. Some people say, well, I don't have an imagination. Well, what do you think when someone, a, a loved one's late in coming home? Straight away, your imagination kicks in, and you go, oh, they've had an accident or that car, because your imagination always is wanting to work, and you're created in the image of God. What I'm suggesting is that you can use that imagination positively and you can create the the, um, the the scenes for you to step into. And so a dream gives you that ability to step into a scene. A vision gives you an ability to step into a scene. And the scriptures, uh, as we practice reading through the scriptures and as we get used to the scriptures and the, the layers within the scriptures, as they open to us, we can step into that scene and access the provision that's there. The promises are there. All the promises in God, according to scripture, are yes in him. And we have the privilege of saying amen to the glory of God. That's so, right. So God God is yes. Um, the Hebrew word for priest is Cohen. That's K-O-H-E-N. Um, the, the first and last letters are the cuff, which is a hand, and an N is a noon or a fish or activity. It's a life. So the, the first and last letters, Ken, the first and last letters of Cohen, are the hand of life, which in Hebrew is the word yes. The hand of life, Yes. All right, so if you get the hand of life, you've got yes. It's almost like the scepter being extended to Esther, all right? And then you've got a h or a he, which is the fifth letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Because of where it's positioned in the middle of the word, it means revealed or behold. And so what a Kohen does, what a priest does, is there's the yes, but a Kohen reveals the heart of the yes. And who is yes? Yahweh is yes. Yeah. And his, he is yes, and as priests of the living God, we have the privilege of bringing that yes to earth. That's the portal once again. That's so uh, good. So many things there, Lisa, we could open up. Um, you know, the word glory, for example, which is kavod, all right? But once again, that's a K, the kaf, and the D, the dalit, all right, is the last letter, which is the, the, the hand on the door. But in the middle of that, the kavod, the V, is actually a bet, which is a house. It means the hand on the inner house door. So God's glory is revealed as we open what he reveals to us. Bam. And the glory of God's released out of us as portals of the living God. That's so good. That's so good. And, you know, anytime I think about the doorway, I always go back to the Passover. 
because it at the Passover with the blood of Jesus, that's where again, where death could not come. It, it couldn't, it just had to pass by. It couldn't come near it. So there's, there's so many different things that as we really kind of start to see that, you know, there, there've been so many different um, ways where people have seen Jesus. Um, I think Marilyn Hickey did something where she took you through the entire Bible from Genesis until revelation showed Jesus in every single part of it. Jesus is there because he was from the, from the foundation. He was there. He was there. And I, and I love, I love this, um, this greater understanding because there's, you know, I believe that the cross is what that it, it was finished at the cross. But I believe that that your understanding and to see the cross as the finished thing, even before, even before he got on the scene, because because God does not work in in chronological time. And I think that's the other thing. So let me just um let me just kind of take you a little out of this because as um, we're coming out of the end of, of 2019 and because, you know, you're in the future anyway, so you know things. <laughs> um, <laughs> just because you're in Australia, just for, for those people who tuned in late, he's in Australia, so he's already on Wednesday. But I can't, um, can't give you the lotto numbers. You <laughs> but I, but um, I do want to ask you, Adrian, like, because what I've been seeing coming for 2020, and there have been a lot of prophetic words, and, and it's been about the, basically, it's about the things that have been hidden coming to light. It's about being able to see. And I think that one of the things that we're going to see is we're going to start to see how time is for believers, that, that time is inconsequential. Is that the right word? It's just that we can we can start working and operating outside of time. And that's what Jesus did and does, to yes. be quite honest. Because yes. if if we believe, and this is what I believe, I believe that, that if you have had something and you have a memory where you're stuck in, that you can invite Jesus into that memory. It's not that he that you're imagining he's there, but he has he was always there, but now he's being revealed to you that he's there. But you know what I mean? And it's so like as we start to understand that the that we we are the ones who are controlling the time and not God, if that makes sense. Because if we're staying and we're we're not operating outside of time, I don't know if, it's, if this is kind of, but do you know what I mean? It's like we have to, because God operates outside of time. So we have to start getting our eyes adjusted to the things that he's trying to show us so that when we see something coming, we know that it's coming. We're just seeing it outside of this particular time. That's true. I mean, uh, the world uses the term deja vu, mm -hmm. which is that experience where you, you walk into a situation and you feel like you've been there before. But as spirit beings, that should be normal to us because there's nothing to, to say that our spirit hasn't already experienced that before because it's in eternal time. I think the best example of that is perhaps you, you talked about the woman who caught in adultery and how Jesus forgave her before he'd actually died on the cross. But the, one of the classic examples is in John, uh, sorry, in Matthew chapter 8, where it says, you know, after he had cleansed, cleansed the leper, after he had killed, healed the centurion's servant, and then he goes to Peter's house, heals her of a fever, and then it says that they they brought to him all those who were demon-possessed and sick and diseased, and he cast out the demons with a word, and then he laid hands on the sick, and they all recovered, and they all were healed. But then it says this amazing thing, and he says, it, and he did so to fulfill what Isaiah wrote, that he bore our sicknesses and diseases. So here, in Matthew 8, 
chronologically before he'd actually come to the cross down here at the end of Matthew, all right, he's actually ministering in the power of the cross, all right, because when did he bear our sicknesses and diseases? He bore us at the cross. At the cross, from the whipping post to the cross. And so what Jesus did, and I explained this previously, but what he did is he entered into eternal truth, all right? He entered into the fact that what we've shared before from Revelation 13, verse 8, that he is the lamb slain from the foundation of the earth. He drew that truth back into chronological time and he applied that truth there. Likewise, when he's ministering to the woman caught in adultery and likewise when the Syrophoenician woman came to him and she says to him, even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. It wasn't yet time for the Gentiles to receive the message, but because of her faith, he stepped into eternal time and, and access provision before chronologically they had arrived at it and he dispensed that provision for her at that time because of faith. You and I have the privilege. We are we are the true time travellers. You and I are Doctor Who. We, we, you're the <laughs> you like, and we're bigger on the inside than we are on the outside. And we have pro the provision in Christ, all right, to step beyond this chronological time zone and access truth that is there in eternity. And I see eternity not necessarily outside of this time, but I see it as the fullness of time. I, I say that because if it was outside of time, then what you do in eternity wouldn't affect this chronological time. Because, But because it's cause and effect, I believe that everything that's ever been written is there in eternal time. And what we have the privilege to do is God unfolds it and, un and reveals it to us through scripture or through dreams and visions or through supernatural phenomena in everyday life. And then if we understand the meaning of that uh, revelation, we can access the truth that's hidden in that revelation and we can apply it to our day. Using our active imagination, we can replay the scene. We can, we can step into something beyond our chronological situation and circumstances to access what God has for us in the eternal realm. Um, there's so much there, Lisa. That that's just, mm. um, I, I think that we, you know, I, I read recently that the imagination is the foundation, not the seeing of what God wants to do for us. And so if we understand the power of our imagination and what God's given us in the sanctified imagination uh, and the revelation that he's releasing to us, you know, you talked about 2020 uh, vision, 2020 vision. We talked about that, but 5780, the year of pay, the, the, the year of the mouth. I believe that God's revealing revelation. Which, which, which can be seen as vision, but he's also then getting us to, to speak that so that it comes through the portal of our mouth. I also share in the book that I believe that angels come to work through our mouth. While that could be very controversial in the way we think of that, you know, I'm not talking physically, but angels come to work as we start to share revelation. Uh, and because the Bible says in Psalm 103 verse 20, it says, Praise the Lord, you his angels who excel in strength, hugging unto his commandments, who do his word. And when we're not speaking, but when God's speaking through us, angels go to work. Mm -hmm. Interesting, before that, in Psalm 103, verse 20, before Psalm 103, 20, is Psalm 103, verse 19, and it says, God is enthroned in heaven. And then it says, praise the Lord, you his angels are excelling strength. So when we realize that God is enthroned, we're actually declaring that the kingdom's in place. Wherever the king is, there's the kingdom and his presence. Wherever his presence is, there's the kingdom. And so we start to operate in the presence. We we cover the presence of God. We don't want to go up ahead of God. But like Moses, we go, unless you go with us, we don't want to go. And so as we cover the presence, as we as we practice the presence, Brother Lawrence, and as we practice the presence of God, God's kingdom comes with us. And we are that portal and we can draw from uh, 
infinity within us, you know, the eternal realm within us. When you and I step into a room, we are we might be physically finite, we might be mentally finite, but we are infinite in the spirit. And we can draw from that infinity beyond this time realm and we can access the promises of God and bring them back into our day to apply them as God releases revelation for that situation that we faced. That's so good. You know, and it's funny as you were kind of talking about how with our imaginations, how we can kind of see things and, and kind of see things into the future, like you were saying, almost like deja vu. And it just started to make me think about some of the um, the greatest inventors that we have had. Like, is it, you know, they, they could have possibly had a dream. They could have possibly had like a vision. They could have had something or they could have seen something and they were able to then take what they saw and start to create it. Because I believe that, that as we start to, you know, everything, how many times have you come up with an idea and then somebody else is doing it? <laughs> because it's there, because we're seeing it. There are things that we see that we don't understand. And so we can see it in our dreams, but we forget that we saw it or we can see it because while we're sleeping, God is, is putting stuff in and he's always looking for vessels who are willing to do what he is showing them. So that that's the other thing too, is that as he gives us these invitations to do these different things, that we can step in with a fullness and an understanding that this is something that is going to be created. It's just going to be a matter of by whom. That's true. Uh, Adam, Adam F. Thompson says that he had an experience where he entered in heaven and he, he realized that the, the songs that we sing on earth, many of them are already sung and already written in heaven. And all we're doing is getting the downloads from heaven to, yep. to release that. And I think there are many movies that are beyond our day and age. You know, the, there's the Avatar, you know, that sort of movie yeah. that you went, wow, what's going on here? This is very spiritual. I think mm -hmm. that's a download from heaven in, a, in some measure. So whether it was a dream, and, and I'm, I, Adam and I and our families, uh, late last year we did a tour of the Denver Art Museum, I think, or the, you know, the art gallery, and there was a picture of an artist. This is a Renaissance artist, and he had a picture as the he had a scribe working there, but next to him a portal had opened. So back oh, in the on. and so he shows you this portal opening, and and obviously there's revelation coming for him to scribe what he was releasing, and so that's part and parcel of who we are as eternal creatures, eternal beings, spirit beings. Uh, this you know we've got to get beyond the grid of this deadlock of circumstances and the physical realm to realize that we are created to, to as spirit beings and we interconnect with each other but also with God and God's downloading things to us. Angels are there working in in harmony with us as we speak God's word of revelation. Angels go to work and they start to do the bidding of the Lord. Uh, and and so this is this should become part of our reality and it's like that which we should be focusing on. And if we feed ourselves in that, then we truly would come to understand who we are and what are, who our identity is as the sons and the daughters of the living God. That's so good. That is so good. I, I mean, Adrian, you are so awesome. And when you and Adam finish up your book about angels, I do hope you guys plan on coming on my show because I, there, I have been talking about it 
for probably about a year and a half. And I've been saying that the Lord wants us to start partnering with angels. And what, what does that look like? And how do we do that? But it's something that is so important because in order for, for kingdom to continue growing and to continue moving, that we need to have the angelic assistance that's been assigned to us. I mean, they're standing around waiting and being like, come on. And what's really interesting is ever since I started to, to talk about that, I've had more angels who I've actually have had interactions with where they've told me their names, they've told me their purposes. And it's, it's just been like, what the heck just happened? But it, it's not something that just happened. It's that something that I've become aware of. And so what you become aware of something, it becomes more and more. I think that's true. What, it, what you believe for is what you get. Adam right. and I see that people, um, there are people who have been religious in their, their upbringing and they, they just come into encounter the dreams are real. When they see the foundation, scriptural foundation for what we're sharing here today about the kingdom, and once they see the scriptural foundation for the things of uh, dreams and visions and that that's part and parcel of what God is doing in our day, uh, then faith rises within them and then they start to dream. They start to encounter more things. And it's the same with angels as we start to recognize that they're here. You, you and I have angels with us right now and that they're waiting for, to see what we say and what we pray. And so the, the, then they start and, and move into it. They get into action. They move into, they move, start interacting in and out of the eternal realm and bringing the provision of God and revelation for us. I think that we, we are at the doorstep of stepping into a greater volume of that and really realizing that I think there's probably going to be a, a, a greater conflict as things heat up. And we need to understand who we are as the sons of, and the daughters of the living God so that we can move and exercise the authority and with the revelation that he wants to bring to planet Earth. Absolutely. Well, I mean, that's one of the things that Jesus started to do. He started to talk to the disciples about their identity on who they were. When he says, when they said, you know, Jesus, your mother and your brothers are here. He goes, well, who are my brothers? Who? Who is my family? But those around me. Those who are here to listen and, and to do the will of the Lord. Those are my brothers. Those are my sisters. He already started to talk about identity. He never called them slaves. He never called them servants. He called them brothers, my brother, my sister. That's yes. what he did. He started something where he started to teach about identity because as the disciples, when they became apostles, they knew who they were. They knew who they were. They didn't question it and they were able to operate not. And it's funny because, you know, here they saw the things that Jesus did. Then they saw Jesus go to the cross. Then they saw Jesus resurrected. So they saw all this thing, but you know, but yeah. And so they, they did these things very freely. However, when they were, when they went to, um, I think it was when they went to, um, to Greece where they were th thought of to be like gods and they wanted to worship as gods. That's when they ripped their shirts. Like do not, do this because you know so there 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 was a an identity that they knew and they knew how to function and operate and they had no no problem but it was when things became shifted when they became perverted when they became twisted that's when they became afraid it wasn't because they they didn't want to be called something that they weren't but they saw the perversion of the per, of the people seeing them that there was a perversion in their thought 
it was never in the disciples thought. And I thought that was a really, that's just a, an interesting thing that I've been kind of seeing is how the apostles, how they started to, how they raised up sons and daughters, how they were fathers. That's what they were. They were like fathers and mothers and they were both men and women apostles. And as they were raising up, they were raising up a family. That, and that's what I believe as we start to understand who we are, we're going to start raising up family because who is in a, who is in a kingdom? A kingdom has a family, right? It does. Yes. And, and so, go ahead. So you're raising there, Lisa, you know, like the angelic as well. I was, I was thinking as you were sharing there, uh, what we need to recognize, most of us want to have an encounter with an angel, all right? Um, but we need to realize that within scripture, most angelic activity is hidden. So, for example, you know, uh, Joshua meets the, the captain of the Lord of hosts, the commander of the Lord of hosts in uh, Joshua chapter five before he, he, they take down the walls of Jericho. But we never join the dots and realize who it was who pulled down those walls. Now, what's the point of having the Lord of hosts there, right, giving him instructions if we don't recognize that the angels did the work as, long, as soon as they were obedient? Mm -hmm. All right, likewise, likewise, in Genesis 24, Abraham sends to the servant who he sends out, whose name is um, a, a name that means helper. He sends out this helper to bring a bride. And as he brings the, the bride to, uh, to um, his son, Isaac, uh, it says that he would send an angel to prosper his way. Well, you don't see the angel in that interaction at all. So therefore, you have to understand that the angels' angels' work there is done subversively. It's done behind the scenes. Likewise, you talked about when the disciples were sent out into Greece. When they went to Antioch in Acts chapter 16, in, in Acts chapter 12, when Peter's released from prison, all right, the angel opens the door, you know, physically for him. And then we go, well, an angel there was there leading him. And potentially angels maybe look like us because... Mm -hmm. I think it was Rona was at the door and she thought it was his yep. angel it was Peter physically there. But realize this, that I believe that angels were likely to be the ones who, who broke open the cells in Acts chapter 16. But it, imagine this. Imagine if the angels had manifest and the prisoners and the jailers saw those angels. Who would then they would, who would they then come to worship? They wouldn't mm. come to worship uh, um, um, sorry, Paul and Silas, but they would, and they wouldn't listen to their message because they'd seen the angels. And so angels kept behind the scene so that the tension could be drawn onto the message that the, that the apostles were carrying. And so that they could see, hey, this story about Christ dying upon the cross is true. The truth of this, what we've been sharing this morning, Lisa, is this, that, that when Jesus died on the cross, he redeemed us, absolutely. But he also gave us access into a kingdom. And that's where I believe the church is at, poised now to move from the church who dwelt at the cross to moving into the kingdom and, and recognizing the access that he's created for us. I mean, there's scripture after scripture that I could quote for you, but I don't want to not bombard. I mean, I've bombarded you enough already and, and the listeners here or the viewers already. But what I'm doing is just giving you a foretaste of the kingdom that Christ has opened to us. That's right. And I, I think that everything that you've said and everything that you've shared, I, I know I have that there have been like, whoa, <laughs> there are some like, whoa moments, because when you start to understand that 
everything that's been written, everything that's been done, that that it's it's to bring the revelation about what was done at the cross and what we were supposed to be doing. Because if it says that Jesus became the new Adam, right? Because in Adam and Eve and Adam, we lost everything. And so when he says that he's become the new Adam, then we should be, we should be gaining everything that was lost. Everything was finished. He said, it is finished. Everything was paid for everything, everything. And so it comes down to what you said, I think in the very beginning, which is about faith, what we put our faith in, what we start to, to move in, when we start moving in the faith is what we're going to start to reap. And it's like, as we start sowing these seeds of faith and we start moving, Moving into these things of faith and we start to see how everything that we do in faith that we start to get a manifestation of it I think that's when we're going to come out of that fear-based mentality where I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing into no I'm starting to move into the things that God's instructed me to do and everything that that Christ did and, and that everything that that we obtained through the crucifixion that I'm going to start to, to move into that, just like with the healing with that. And I believe that the raising of the dead, I think that is something that's coming next. I think we've had the move of, of the, the healing. And I think that that's been awesome, but I think that we're moving into a greater level of faith where we're actually going to see more and more dead people. I had a conversation with a friend of mine a couple of years ago and I said, we are going to get to a place where when somebody dies, it's not going to be a big deal. It's going to be like, so what are you doing tonight? Well, my mom passed away. Really? Well, I can't get there until six o'clock, <laughs> you know? And they're like, all right, well, well, maybe I can get there at five. No, 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 six is fine. All right. Because the intention is at six o'clock when I get there, we're raising your mother back from back to the dead, from the dead. Do you know what I mean? And that's the same thing. It's like if somebody calls me and they're telling me that they're sick, I'm like, all right, well, I can, I could probably see you tomorrow. Great. We'll get this healed because there is a power in everything that we do. And we just have to start obtaining um, a, a freedom and expressing that power. Does that make sense? It does. I, I think <laughs> you're correct. And I think that this is such a, a vista of things and promises and, and provision that God has for us. The table is set before us and it's just so full. You know, we you'll see in the book and you remember in the book in, about Samson, most of us think yeah. that he had a us problem, uh, but there's there's more and more so much depth in that. He, he kills a thousand Philistines. He kills a nation of Philistines with a jawbone of an ass. Jawbone, speaking of the mouth, uh, and the ass or the donkeys, the servant. So with the servant word, the mouth speaks of words. So that with the servant word, he killed the nation. And so he made an open show of them. That's Jesus defeating the enemy at the cross. In the midst of that, Samson cries out, I thirst. You see that in John chapter 19, Jesus crying yep. out, I thirst. And then, then following that victory, all right, then he goes and visits Gaza and he goes and visits a prostitute in Gaza. And we go, oh, Samson, you blew it again. But in, it says that he was there all night, all night. And at midnight, he comes out with the gates of Gaza on his shoulders and he takes them back to Hebron. Well, the Holy Spirit has deliberately put us that there for us because following his victory at the cross, where he kills the thousand Philistines, cries out, I thirst, opens and cleaves open heaven through the jawbone and the, the well of heaven is opened up through us, all right, through what he's, he's done for us. He's opened heaven through these portals and now we are that well. We're now that well. And then he goes and visits the harlot. The Bible says a harlot is a narrow 
appear, uh, going to leads to leads to hell. And so, what you see there is a picture of Jesus now descending into hell. Mm. And while he's in hell, he's there for three days, three nights. But as he breaks out, he breaks out with the doors. And the Bible says in the New Testament, the gates of hell should not prevail. But no, Samson not only breaks out with the doors, but he's got the doorpost and the locking bar. And so he's got sin and death and the law, and he dismantles that ability of, for that to hold mankind. And he he carries it on his shoulders, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. Isaiah 9, verse 7, Jesus Christ. He goes back to Hebron, a place of a, which means association or union, and he carries those gates all the way back from the authority of hell back to the throne with the Father. And so plundering hell, Reinhard Bonnke's expression, and resurrection should become part of our experience as we meditate on what Jesus achieved. And we can see that in the life of Samson there. Very, very powerful pictures for us. I mean, the revelation has been just incredible. There's just been so much that you've shared in, 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 gosh, in such a short time. But I, and I really encourage you guys to get your copy of Kingdom Mysteries Hidden in Plain Sight because I think that as you kind of go through it, you're going to see all the things that Adrian has so beautifully put together and has given such a, a bigger picture of what Jesus did and how it was it was the Father's plan from the beginning. From the beginning. Like, seriously. It wasn't, it wasn't plan B, was it? It wasn't no. plan B. There wasn't a plan B. Oh, I'm like, shoot, now what am I going to do? <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, gosh, I can, I just did not expect them to do that. Ugh, I'm going to have to think of something, you know? It's like, no, no, no. He had it. He had it. It was all done. But I think that everything had a, um, a time for the revelation, just like, you know, as things are being uncovered, I think that there was also an uncovering that needed to happen. I think that even though he did it from the beginning, I think that there needed to be an uncovering for them to to accept it. Because I think sometimes we can see something right in front of our eyes and we don't believe it, right? Seeing is believing, but sometimes we still don't believe it. And I believe that as God started to show and to prepare the hearts of men for something he already had planned that, that they were then going to be in anticipation of something so great. And I think that that's, that's what's coming is there, there is a, for me right now for 2020, I have an anticipation of something so great and a trepidation <laughs> because I know that, that there is, there is something that is coming that is going to be an unveiling and an um, uncovering um, but we also have to remember that God is—he's a good daddy. He's a good daddy, and so he only—he only can do good. Sorry, I mean for those people who think that God is bad, not my God. Sorry, <laughs> just—I'm just saying because if God is love, right, and there is no bad in love, right? That's true. You know, we—we we, the word good can become a cliche. Mm -hmm. The Hebrew word for good is tov. All right, mm -hmm. and it, a tet, a vav, and a bet, which means surrounds the house. Mm, so I love that. You realize that you and I are God's house. He's surrounding you with his goodness. All mm. right. He is wonderful, and his provision is greater than we can imagine. If we can only allow him to uh, release, and, and so I pray, let's pray that the, the spirit of understanding is released as we've been speaking, uh, Lisa, that people's hearts will be opened to the kingdom because I, I pray that any religious shackles, any religious mindsets that are causing a ceiling to be over their hearts right now, I pray that they be broken through the blood of Christ 
and that all that Jesus achieved at the cross would become their portion. You know, so at the cross, the, the full access of the Father would be released to us. And, you know, it may well be given in, in dispensations. Obviously, we couldn't cope with it all at once. But I pray that we all step into, all the, the listeners step into the fullness of what God has for them. And so, Father, and if you're watching this broadcast right now, I pray that you touch your, your smartphone, touch your iPad, touch your computer, and because I want to pray for an impartation of the spirit of understanding. Uh, understanding is a heart thing. It's not a head thing, all right? And so <clears throat> realize this, that God wants the eyes of your understanding to be enlightened. And just as Jonathan dipped his spear in the honeycomb, it says that his eyes were enlightened. That's Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18, as well as 1 Samuel chapter 14. And so what you'll see is, Father, I want to I pray for a release of honey revelation. Honey revelation, like the revelation of the manna, and it tasted like honey. Father, I pray for honey revelation for each person watching this broadcast and the delayed broadcast as they watch it repeated. Father, I pray for impartation, the eyes of their understanding. Lord, speak to them through dreams, visions but also start to speak to them in a greater way through that which we've shared today and through other passages of Scripture as they get to read deeper and deeper. And Father, I pray for a new joy in the reading of God's Word, of your Word, that they would, new life would jump out at them and they'd see new applications for them to start to live. And Father, I pray that there'd be a breaking out of the kingdom in people's experience and they would no longer just be the dwellers uh, with a historical Jesus, but they would start to live with a living Christ and their experience would be one of continually living every day with revelation. Now you might think manna was Old Testament, but we pray a prayer. It's our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Father, I pray for daily bread, daily revelation for each person here uh, within earshot and within watching this broadcast right now. I pray for Lisa, for her husband, for her family. I pray for everyone that's watching this. I pray for you and your whole household that you'd be saved. That's not only eternal salvation, but that's healing, that's deliverance, that's uh, you know, that's averting, that's uh, averting the plans of the enemy in your situation right now. In the mighty name of Jesus, Amen. Okay. Amen. Amen. That was awesome. Adrian, you are so awesome. I just love you. I love both you and Adam. I think you guys are so amazing. And I'm so looking forward to getting the angel book. I can't wait to read it. Oh my goodness gracious. I know that Adam also has a book coming out. So if you guys are interested in um, actually seeing them, they're going to be coming in 2020. They're going to be coming in April and May. So you might want to just check your calendar. And if you can get to go and see them, they are so wonderful. But definitely you want to get your copy of your book, which is called Kingdom Mysteries Hidden in Plain Sight. It's such a great book. It's such a, it's a great way that you can even, like Adrian was saying, you can use it as a devotional and you can start going through it chapter by chapter and you can start to see the things that are challenging you and you can start writing and you can start dialoguing with the father and asking him the questions because you know it says is as we ask and we seek and we knock he's going to answer us he will answer us so we just have to come into that place of just sometimes being quiet because as we sit with him we will let he he will speak to us he will speak to you he he's not um he doesn't just speak to certain people he speaks to all his kids he loves all his kids equally so you don't have to worry about well i just don't know it's just getting yourself in that quiet place but as you start to get you know revelation as you start to read things that challenge you even if it kind of makes you feel like well i don't know about that but you know what as you come to him he'll come to you so this is a great way 
for you to start a dialogue with your father. This is a great way for you to start to see things. And as you start to read, I think that you're going to start to get a deeper understanding of how much he loves you, how much he loves you because he was willing to die for you. How about that? Amen. Amen. So Adrian, this has been, this has been so much fun. And I just want to thank you so much for taking time and for, for coming on the show. I know it's kind of early, not too early, but it was, um, but it was so great. And I, I'm so honored to, to be a, a small little part of this book. I'm really, it really was a great book. I really enjoyed it. And, um, it's just been, it, it, like I said, it had so many aha moments. I was like, blown away i had to like sometimes rest after reading a chapter <laughs> is that it is that type of book and I, you know mm -hmm. um, all glory to god amen let's just see amen um, pray that it touches hearts like it's touched ours amen 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 and so um if people want to uh get in touch with you how can uh, what is your website uh, my personal website adam and i minister together and we mm -hmm. also minister separately so uh, the divinitycode.org is our, our ministry together. Uh, my my uh, ministry is called everestministries.com. So Everest with a double R. So Everest. The everestministries.com. You, you find my website. Okay. So we're going to put that up so that this people can. This book is available on Amazon in the yes. U.S. Uh, it's, it, it's in all the Barnes and Noble, all those other places are ordering it. But also in Australia, it's in Coorong. Uh, and so you can order the book uh, in multiple places. So if you're in Australia, or you're in America, or throughout the world, you should be able to get it on Amazon and so on. But yeah, it's great. Thank you. It's a great book. And thank you for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for spending some time and sharing some of your amazing revelation uh, with my audience. You are just such a blessing. Thank you for the invite, Lisa. Bless you. Absolutely. Always, always welcome on my show. So thank you guys for tuning in. Go out, get your copy of Kingdom Mysteries Hidden in Plain Sight. Trust me, your mind will be blown. Mine was. It's awesome. Um, if you guys are interested in following the Divinity Code, you can follow uh, both um, Adrian and Adam Thompson. You guys can uh, follow them. They they have some teaching. They, they constantly are putting stuff on YouTube. You can also follow them on um Instagram. You can follow Adrian on Instagram. So make sure that you do that. And thank you guys so much for tuning in to my last show of 2019. I know I said it last week, but uh, yeah, I forgot about, <laughs> I have one more show. <laughs> and so I thank you guys for, for your support, for your love, for your prayers. You guys have made 2019 quite an incredible year. I just thank you so much for all of um, for all of you guys who've tuned in and who have written in. I really appreciate it. Just to let you know that the Daddy's Girl Conference is coming to New Jersey. It's coming um, 2020, May 2020. It's the 15th, 16th, and 17th. And the theme is following the fire. So that which really has a lot to do with everything that is being said. And we will definitely be having both uh, Adam and Adrian as soon as the, their book comes out in when is it going to be coming out? Well, Destiny have that right now, but it doesn't come out until November on okay. Angels. But we might be able to do something beforehand so that we can be okay. in we, we can have them back on because they're fun. <laughs> we can definitely have them back on. So thank you guys for tuning in. God bless. Have a wonderful um, Christmas and a happy new year. And I will see you soon. Thank you so much. And remember to go out and touch someone. God bless and good night. God bless.